0: Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. We all want to feel confident especially when we're on the dating scene. We want to lead with our best self. We want to approach a date empowered, knowing who we are, feeling and believing that we have so much to offer a relationship. We want to have that kind of energy that, hey, nice to meet you and you are lucky to meet me. Not in an arrogant way, but in a fully self-assured way. That being said, It can be really hard to feel that confidence if we're not at home in our own skin and if we don't feel comfortable with our bodies. Body image is something all women have wrestled with at some point in their lives or at many points in their lives. To help us achieve this feeling, this confidence, if we don't currently feel it, I've invited Veronica Grant to the program to talk about her personal experience with not loving her body and then learning to love her body, and how that helped her heal some wounds from childhood and move toward love with that confidence. Here's a little more about Veronica. Veronica Grant is a love and life coach. She's the host of the popular Love Life Connection podcast, and she believes deep work is the only way to deep love. She helps successful women who feel like they have it all except love find it. Veronica's work has been featured in Oh! The Oprah Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Your Tango, and countless podcasts, including Let It Out and Mind Body Musings. As someone who struggled in love herself and was tired of unsolicited and usually patronizing dating advice, even if it was well-meaning, she created the resources she wished were available before she met her husband. Through her binge-worthy podcast, free challenges, and coaching, she's here to shake up how you find love, even in our swipe right, swipe left world. A few of her guilty pleasures include psychoanalyzing TV and real-life famous couples, hiking with her husband, pup, and new baby, and sushi everything. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single, so obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amid single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. Veronica, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you are a love and life coach, so you're kind of the perfect guest for the love and life podcast. (laughs) And Let's start with kind of the topic of today. I don't think there's a woman on the planet who hasn't had body issues. You know, in the day, there were a lot of eating disorders among my peers in high school and college. So this is a concern that every woman wrestles with to some degree. So tell us a little bit about your personal journey, if you would.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to to share. So I started actually my business as a health coach because that's what I thought my journey was all about. I remember the first time I felt fat was when I was 11 years old and that was also the first time I decided I was going to go on a diet and I knew what that feeling felt like and I knew what a diet was and how to do it because all the women in my family have always dieted. Mm -hmm. And because there was such a hyper focus on our bodies and what we looked like, both women within the family, but then also women that we saw on TV. And if they were looking old or fat or skinny or whatever, it was just something that was super, super present for me. And I was hyper aware of it. And so when I felt fat, it was like, uh uh-oh, you know, this is bad, something, something bad might happen. And so yeah. I went on my first diet. And then from there, it was just constantly like trying to lose five more pounds, 10 more pounds, or, you know, whatever the magic number of the day was for me. And so obviously, at the time, I didn't understand what was going on. But what was going on that I now know, looking back, um, you know, and, you know, retrospectively, is, I learned to get validation, especially from my mom, but really all the women in my family, but again, especially my mom, um, through being A certain size. So if I was you know, if I'd gained a little bit of weight, I definitely knew not only because I felt it, but also because my mom probably would have said something. And likewise, if I had lost a little bit of weight again, I probably would know because based on my clothes felt, but I would also get that validation from my mom. And, but that would be more in the form of phrase like, Oh, you're looking good, looking skinny, like Miss skinny Veronica or, or whatever. And while it feels like Mm -hmm. on the surface, that's a compliment and a nice thing to say, what it continued to do over and over and over again was reinforce like, Oh, when I get this validation, that feels really good. And it's very easy to mistake that validation with being good enough and with feeling loved. And so that really set in motion, a whole slew of not just, you know, more issues around eating and food and dieting and body image, but also just how I felt validated by other people in my life. And especially as I became older, a teenager into my twenties and so forth, you know, I got that validation from men by looking a certain way. And so again, like this whole thing, I thought it was all about food. It was all about body. It was all about, you know, those were my, those are my issues. And so I was able to heal a lot of that and I did a lot of that through actually I did a lot through yoga, but I f- started feeling a lot better in my body and I started to develop a healthier relationship with food. And it's kind of a funny way that happened. I can I can share if you're interested in, yeah in, in of course that. yes okay, so I used to live in Charleston, South Carolina, and um, I had a really good friend there who started a vegan blog. And so she was always blogging about, all of her vegan food that she was eating. And like, it was just, she loved preparing about, preparing it. She loved talking about it. She loved taking pictures of it. She obviously loved eating it. She just loved it. And at the same time I had just moved from Charleston to North Carolina, where I had started a job on the Obama campaign. And this was back in the, I think this is second campaign. And for anyone who's ever worked on a political campaign, you know that is your life. (laughs) You're working 80, 90. I mean, I don't even know how many hours a week, basically from 9am to about midnight, seven days a week. So it's insane. You're not sleeping. You're not eating healthfully. You're just grabbing whatever food is in front of you, which is usually pizza and brownies. And so at the end of the campaign, I was so tired. I was exhausted. I didn't have a job because obviously the campaign ended. So I was laying on my mom's couch at her house looking for a job, but also just exhausted. So I was on Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff a lot. And I went back to my friend's blog and I started looking at her blog and her pictures and her Instagram. And I was just like, I want to relate to food like that because I was, so tired. I didn't have the energy to start counting calories again. You know, I used to literally close the door of my office and do jumping jacks for 5 minutes so I could quote unquote earn a glass of wine because I was like out of calories for the day and I wanted to go to happy hour with my friends. Like that used to be my life and that's really freaking exhausting. And so I didn't really have the the I didn't have the energy for that. And I was like looking at my friend's blog and I was like, this is what I, this is how I want to relate to food. And so in my mind, I was like, I must be vegan then. And so (laughs) (laughs) I became a vegan. Now I had been vegetarian for most of my life. So becoming a vegan wasn't like the biggest, you know, stretch in the world, but I started to get really excited about food. And for the first time in my life, like food became like this thing where it was it just became enjoyable and it was fun and it was nourishing and it was interesting. And it was an opportunity to be adventurous and be curious, like, huh, I wonder what that tastes like. Or I wonder how I can make a, a vegan macaroni and cheese with sausage, you know? So like, it was fun and exciting and Food was never like this for me. It was always the enemy. It was always like those cookies banging in the cupboards, yelling my name. <laughs> I'm like, stop right. yelling my name. <laughs> so uh, over the next year or so, couple years, I think I was, I was, you know, fairly, you know, into the whole vegan lifestyle. And then I really started to miss my favorite food, and my favorite food is sushi. I love it, and vegetarian sushi is just not the same thing. Like it's just not like I was really missing rainbow rolls and all that stuff. And so I realized through missing this food and not quote unquote allowing myself to eat it because it wasn't part of the vegan diet, I was beginning to fall back into the similar pattern of before, whereas like some food is good, some food is bad, and I can't eat the bad food because that would be bad. And that's when I realized, oh, Yeah. Okay. I think this veganism thing has served its purpose. It helped me change relationships to food. And now like we're done with that. And, and so from then on out, you know, for the most part, you know, food is like this nourishing, exciting, fun thing, adventurous thing. That's a part of my life and not like this torturous thing that, you know, I just felt like I had to count and earn and all this, you know. So anyways, once I was able to to heal that, I really wanted to help other people in this part of their life because I just felt really passionate about it. And another thing that drove me to support people was I had been teaching fitness classes pretty much since high school. And a lot of times my students would come to me like, like, all right, Veronica, work me extra hard because I had a brownie last night or whatever. And At this point, I had already gone through this healing process with my food. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know, that's, that's not really like the most friendly reason to, or the nice or the most kind reason to be in my cycling class. I want you to do it because it's like good for your body and it feels good to sweat, but not as a, you know, a punishment. And so that's when I decided to go just from being a, you know, cycle instructor, a kickbox, yoga teacher, whatever, to more encompassing and do the health coaching. And then a few things happened kind of all at the same time. But one, I was working with a coach and she was just kind of helping me, you know, just kind of clear out some of my own stuff. And that's when we really began to see that my relationship with food and like this whole perfectionism and only being able to get attention and connect with people in that very superficial way was very much being replicated in my in my love life. And I was able to see the connection between my own food journey, my own body journey, and then also my ability to have an emotionally available or be emotionally available you know, for an emotionally available and healthy relationship. Um, and at the same time in my health coaching business, I kept getting feedback from women who would say, "Oh, I don't want to have sex with my husband cuz he's skinnier than me." Or I would hear things like, "I really want to date, but I just can't put myself out there when I look like this or when I feel like this." And so, one of my business coaches I had back in the day, she said, "Follow the breadcrumbs." <laughs> and so, that's what I did. <laughs> and and here we are. And that's kind of the long version, I guess. Much longer than I thought it was going to go of my of my story and how I got to where I am.
0: Yeah, no, I always want the unabridged version. I like to hear all the details. Yeah, and it is so interesting how food is so loaded. As your journey, as you were sharing, you move from food was a way to get validation from your mother, meaning don't eat, (laughs) so you can stay skinny, Veronica, and then food becomes more healthy as you start to look at it as this relationship when you were vegan where you could look at it as how does this nourish me? I mean, that's what really which food should be. It should just be yeah. nourishing our bodies. But we play these games and there's some food that's good and there's some food that's bad. And I'm good when I'm skinny and I'm bad if I'm heavy and I'm not worthy of dating or meeting someone or even having sex with my husband if I don't feel like I look like a supermodel. It, it gets so complex that it doesn't surprise me that for any of us it takes quite a while and a lot of different seasons of our lives to fully disentangle all the messaging that we've internalized and all the the ways that food and body image impact us, not just with our family, but obviously there, and not just with our general confidence, but it's absolutely there as well, but certainly in our pursuit of love.
1: Totally. And and I find that we relate to all of these things in very similar ways. So I think, you know, heterosexual women, I think that we relate to men and I think we can relate to food in very similar ways. And so for me, it was very much like perfectionist. It was like, okay, I can have this many calories, you know, so there's like, there's literally all these equations going in my head so that I could be good enough, so that I could be skinny enough. And then likewise, I mean, there's part of me that, that that deeply wanted that connection and, and love and a relationship, but I certainly wasn't emotionally available for it because I'd only learned how to connect through like, oh, I can impress this person by looking this way, because that's basically what I did with my mom for so many years. So for me, like relationships or men specifically were very much the same way (laughs) food was. It was like, okay, I can look this certain way then I can get this person to like me and then I'll feel good enough. And so once the thing with food was able to shift for me, then that allowed me to open up emotionally because either a food wasn't a way that I either ate my emotions or it wasn't a way that I managed my emotions. It just became something that I enjoyed and found other outlets to handle more difficult emotions, which then opens me up to the kind of man that I wanted and the kind of relationship that I wanted.
0: Yeah. And I love that the vegan season that you experienced helped you make friends with food, which had been the enemy and to enjoy it. And I think just the fact that instead of the rigidity of the counting calories that you spoke to, which had been part of your experience with food before now, the rigidity was like, okay, I can't have meat or animal products. Right. So there's still rigidity, which actually probably served you as you were kind of moving toward where you are now with more freedom, but that rigidity then also because that vegan lifestyle just in and of itself, it seems like, I mean, I guess this maybe isn't true. I guess you could be vegan and eat Doritos all day. I don't know. Is there any animals? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could, I don't know if there's cheese
1: Doritos actually, but um, <laughs> yeah, it certainly encouraged me to, yeah, I don't know. Like, cause I was always like a healthy eater, but again, like that was coming more from like An unhealthy place, like from where am I making these food choices? And Mm -hmm. so it, the come from went from like this very methodical control place in order to feel something I wanted to feel versus like this food is just going to be nourishing and it's going to be fun. And sometimes that might mean I eat like a vegan brownie with like extra chocolate or whatever, but there wasn't like the same level of like guilt or, or
0: there wasn't any guilt. It was like, yeah, this vegan chocolate cake is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think the vegan lifestyle and I could not because cheese. <laughs> but for me it was
1: sushi. I was like, ah, I have to eat sushi.
0: <laughs> but I think it just it's inherently more healthy. So it probably and like you said, you were a pretty healthy eater, but not for the right reasons. And that kind of yeah. ushered you into a more like I'm eating to nourish my body. I want to circle back to your mom a bit, a little bit, because I I don't know a single woman who doesn't have some sort of messaging that they still carry along with themselves based on what mom has said to them. And I do, with my adult eyes, I think that our mothers did the best they could with what they had available to them. And because they validated themselves by virtue of how thin they were and the number on the scale, they passed that on to us in hopes that they could, and again, it's a bit twisted, but I think that it comes from a pure place. I think they wanted us to feel What they felt when they were thin, right? Then they would feel that confidence. And it's messed up because we want to be worthy and feel confident for who we are, whether we're 10 pounds or 20 pounds heavier than we were last year or not. But mothers sometimes inadvertently can really do some damaging messaging or provide some damaging messaging for their daughters. But really, they're trying to help us have that confidence that they so desperately want us to have. Yeah, I, I totally
1: I mean, I totally agree. Like I don't think, you know, my mom like had malice or any kind of ill yeah. will. I think most parents want their kids to have better than than they had. I think that's generally true. Their parents or their mother specifically just wanted to protect them from the awful feeling of feeling too yeah. fat or so it certainly comes from love, but it's more of like a fear-based. Love, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. we don't want to be like this because that's not gonna feel good. So we can look at it, you know, from a very logical perspective and have some compassion for that. And I think that's super helpful to do. But I also think that we do need to still do the emotional healing, even if we have the logical awareness of why she did what she did. Cause we can't really heal emotions through logic. And so we can't really heal the the wound that it creates around the body through just trying to justify, Oh, well, you know, my mom did this because of da, 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 da. And so, so right after I finished the Obama campaign, I think I was still vegan at this point was when I decided to get my yoga teacher certification. And a lot of yoga teacher certifications are also really just about you and your own work. So it required a lot of journaling, a lot of different breathing exercises and techniques and um, a lot of meditation. And so when you're spending that much time with your body, it's hard Mm. to not connect with it in a different way. And so what I think what was going on, and it just happened to be perfect timing is I had developed this new relationship with food after being a vegan. And then I began to really just heal my relationship with my body because my body was my enemy for a really long time. And so there's a lot of, there's just a lot of pain in that and there's a lot of distrust. And so during those months of my teacher training, that was probably the best I ever was at meditating. And because like I would get up and I would do like an hour of all the exercises we were supposed to do, the movements and everything like that. And I think it really allowed me just to feel at home in my, in my body again. And then gosh, like we can talk about how many things that can open up for you, especially when it comes to dating and relationships. And it wasn't that long after that, that I met my now husband. And I mean, for me, at least in my process and journey, it it all worked out in divine timing. Like I think if I had met my husband like years before, before I had gone through this whole process of being a vegan and then doing the teacher training where I really healed a lot of my body, you know, I don't think I would have been, I I wouldn't have been available for it because I would have just been like too busy trying to get that instant attraction or that instant gratification versus like that deeper kind of more slow burn attraction.
0: Yeah. I love hearing you speak to that. Can you also share a little bit about that process of truly finding that emotional healing, which leads to acceptance and loving and being at home in your skin and in your body? So with your clients that you work with, is it a yoga-based practice or are there other ways people can begin to do that work to start that healing and start to love themselves and, and in particular their bodies?
1: Yeah. So I I don't do the yoga with my clients, but I do a lot of meditation with my clients. So I think of doing the meditation as like the equivalent of a runner doing squats. It's not necessarily Mm -hmm. the sport that you signed up for, but like it helps (laughs) you get stronger at the sport you want to do. And so when you have a solid connection with your body, and I do think meditation is ultimately what helps you do that, it helps you navigate the dating process, and then relationships much, much better for a lot of reasons. One simply is when you're able to cultivate a relationship with your body, which is the place where intuition lives, then it's much easier to navigate like, okay, what feels like the right call here? Or what feels like the next step that I want to take here? Or what is it that I want to ask for? Or what is it that I want to text this person and also it's much easier to catch red flags or at least to not ignore them if you are in your head about does this person like me how do they feel about me or you're so worried about like counting calories or whatever else is going on in your head that's making you really anxious and nervous and whatever then you're just you just have more blind spots you're just going to miss more things or you're not going to be attuned to how it is you want to feel in your life and how you want to feel in your relationships and so then when you're in a relationship or a dating situation that feels stressful or that feels anxiety ridden, that kind of feels normal to you. Like if I would ever be single again and I was in a relationship where I just felt constantly stressed and anxious about it, like to me, because I'm in this place where I feel calm and present most of the time, I'd be like, hey, something's not right here. And I'd be able to do something about it, whether it be have a conversation or just get out of the relationship. But if that's your norm, then you just you just it's not even about ignoring it's just like you don't even know that like this isn't how it has to be and so meditation helps you kind of figure that out easier and quicker so that you don't get further wrapped up you know into a lot of those uh, situations the other thing that it helps you do is be more emotionally available. I think especially for heterosexual couples, straight women, specifically, it's very easy to point the finger at men like, "Oh, they're not emotionally available because they're not texting back or they're non-committal or they're aloof or all of these things." And and that's true. Like those are emotionally unavailable behaviors, but the thing is there's other behaviors that are also emotionally unavailable but they're not as stereotypical, so they're a little harder to miss. So like For example, if you're trying to feel validated, and this was definitely something that I did, and that was definitely related to like diet and body and everything, but something that I did is I deeply wanted that emotional intimacy with somebody, but I didn't know how to get it. And so I would use physical intimacy to get there. That's actually a form of emotional unavailability-ness. I don't know if that's actually a word (laughs) (laughs) or, or like wanting to control so that you don't get rejected. So it's like you're holding back because, you know, you don't want to seem too available and you're trying to play the game because you don't want to get rejected or you don't want to be embarrassed or da, 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 da. like that's also being emotionally unavailable. But if you're more present and in tune to how you feel, then what that helps you do is it helps you manage emotions a lot easier because we can't, Re- prevent rejection. And if you try to rejection proof yourself, then you ultimately are shutting yourself down emotionally. But what we can do is okay, yep, I just got rejected. This hurts. This sucks. This stings but it doesn't have to take a hit at your self-worthiness, right? So that's really the goal of where you want to be emotionally when you're dating. And so when you're able to self-regulate a lot better and and regulate your emotions, and I think, again, meditation and and the practice of just being in your body is a really powerful tool to be able to do that. I mean, life just becomes easier, but certainly your love life becomes easier.
0: Yeah, I love how you express that. It's so interesting about being present. Of course, there's so much psych research about... So often when we're in our head about the past, we may be ruminating, and that's related to depression. If we're in the future and we're ruminating about the future, again, related to anxiety. So that being in the present moment, so much research, and of course, meditation helps us do that. And then also that interesting piece that you brought up, we women sometimes go to the physical to get the emotional, but that in and of itself is actually us being emotionally unavailable because we're leading with our body and that physical intimacy in the efforts to try to get what we're really wanting, which is the emotional intimacy. That's a really interesting way of framing that.
1: Yeah. Cause like, we're not really asking for what we need, which would be the right. emotional available thing to do. Like, you know, it's interesting with my clients, whenever sex is like a sticking point or any kind of physical intimacy is a sticking point with the person that they're dating or in their relationship, I always want to go like, okay, well, how's your relationship to food? How How's your relationship to your body? And nine times out of 10, like not good.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And because again, like, and, and this is my experience, so I don't want to Say this is true for everyone, but in my experience, for me, because I was so disconnected with my body, because my body again was the enemy and I didn't want to feel fat. And so I was just like completely shut off from it like intuition, like (laughs) no way, like there was an inherent degrading there. Mm -hmm. And so if I needed to like show off my boobs or like wear a push up bra or like do something else physical to get a man's attention, I would do it, you know, because I just really wanted that validation. And you can only imagine what kind of relationship would come from that. And sure, again, you're not usually a great one. And so that was a situation I found myself over and over again. And, and then also repeatedly disappointed because again, I was just using the physical to get to the emotional, but it's never going to work that way. And it leads to a lot of pain, which again, then it, it just like cycles upon itself because then it's like, I would, I would make me feel kind of used and it made me feel bad about myself. And then right. that would just further cement and the cycle of like, well, that makes me feel like crap. Well, I know how to make myself feel better. I'll just lose five more pounds. You know what I mean? And so it Mm -hmm. just kind of spirals from there.
0: Yeah. And we have to examine what we're leading with if we want to reflect upon what is working for us and what is not working for us and some of the patterns. And we have to own that portion of it. We can blame the guys. Well, I got, I ended up with this guy and he was a jerk and this guy objectified me. But if we're leading with that energy, like you said, what are we attracting? And I only say that we need to own it because that's the only person we can change, right? Is ourselves. So that's where we, one of the ways that we take our power back. A hundred percent. And
1: because I don't want to make it seem like I was sex shaming anybody there's nothing wrong with like leading with your boobs or wanting to have sex with someone at the bar if that's what you want the, the my point in saying that was i was giving my power away by using my parts of my body or physical appearance versus like, Ooh, I really want to get laid tonight. So I'm going to go to the bar and get laid. But it's like, that's coming from my power, my choice. You know what I mean? So there's, there's a difference there. So I just want
0: to point that out. Or yeah, it no, out it just right sounds out. like you weren't getting the kind of intimate <laughs> exactly. connection that you wanted. Exactly. So had to unpack, like, what am I putting out there? If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love & Life family. Another part about the emotional availability, which I know is one of the key elements of your platform, it does strike me that if we are so consumed with our body image and relationship with food, and that's taking up hours of our day, literally counting those calories, figuring out if we've worked out hard enough to have that glass of wine. That's a relationship in and of itself that we may (laughs) not have the bandwidth for a relationship, though we would want one and we think we want one, but that's an enormous amount of time that we're devoting to that part of ourselves.
1: So yes, it takes a lot of time um, with without a doubt. And I, and I think also what can happen is, yeah, so like going to the gym and like counting your calories and then logging it in My Fitness Pal or whatever app of the day, <laughs> you know, people were using, right. you know, it takes ta- time, but also it takes emotional bandwidth for sure. And emotional bandwidth is certainly finite. It's definitely limited. And so what I find happens is that that's the focus because that's the control. And, and so then- a guy might come into my life and I might actually stop counting calories or not going to the gym as much because I want to hang out with this person. But then he just kind of slides in to this thing that I need to control via Mm -hmm. like texts. And did he text back or did he get, did I get the last text or did he get the last text or, you know, do we have another date on the calendar? Like those became the calorie counting. So if, if you have anxiety, for example, and the thing that you're feeling anxiety about, like let's say it's about money or so, and you think it's about the money and then like the money situation gets solved because maybe you get a promotion or maybe you get an inheritance or maybe, I don't know, you win the lottery or something <laughs> um, without actually getting to the root of what it was actually about, then you'll probably just transfer the anxiety to something else, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, like ultimately it came down to control so that I could just feel some semblance of security because I really believed for a long time that if I just had a guy in my life and I was married, then like, I wouldn't be worried about life. Cause like I would have a plan, like a man was my plan. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until I had to let go or until I let go of both the dieting and the exercise and, and the calorie counting and letting go of controlling the relationship piece. Did this vacuum finally open up and like, oh, okay, okay. I can't control anything to manage my emotions now. Now I actually have to learn how to do that in a healthy way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such an important point. If we don't resolve what's at the root of what's manifesting as anxiety about money, for example, or anxiety about body, if we don't resolve it, then when we get the money or get the body we want, we're just going to transfer that energy to something else because we've never really, as you were saying, healed the the core cause it's a really important point yeah totally. are you looking for customized personalized gifts mug shop montreal by brie jackson has got you covered she offers a beautiful selection of high quality personalized custom products what started off as a fun project for family and friends soon developed into a passion for creating custom keepsakes for anyone for any occasion She decided to take the plunge and follow her artistic vision by creating Mug Shop Montreal, a home-based business where she collaborates directly with her clients, using their inspiration to design a detailed, heartwarming souvenir that many have given as gifts or have decided to keep for themselves. You can visit her on Instagram and Facebook at Mug Shop Montreal to browse her lovely products. So for some of your clients, like you said that, and I think this is a lot of women on the dating scene. I mean, it's a jungle out there. It's not easy. The apps make, I think, what was already an arduous process. It makes it even more, I I guess, brutal. People feel very disposable. They feel that if they don't have this incredibly captivating slew of photos that they won't meet anyone there. The tendency to feel that we need to be, so perfect it's even worse than ever and and then of course filters and in the social media and all the things but you submit that we can feel confident dating at any body size so share a little bit with the listeners how they can go about building that confidence even if they're not at their ideal weight yeah.
1: So one of the things that I always come back to, and this is really a lifelong process, you know, because we'll go through different seasons in life. I just had a baby. So like a lot of this old body stuff has been coming up for me, um, sure. you know, especially over the, the summer when like shorts and bathing suits and da, da, da. So the thing that grounds me and the thing that I always come back to is finding a place where healthy meets happy. And so the way I define it, at least in this phrase is the healthy. If it's like too healthy, then it's like counting calories and like only vegetables, no chocolate, no sugar, no, none of the things that we also like to eat in addition to, you know, other healthy things we may genuinely enjoy. And then the happy is like the, just eating all the chocolate or all the cookies or all the pizza or whatever. And so if you're too far in one direction, then you're going to feel out of balance. And I really do believe like given the opportunity the body will naturally want to find balance. And so if you are always like, again, counting your calories and being really strict, like the body is going to maybe be able to do that for like a week or two, maybe a month if you're like super strong willed uh, for the most part, the body's going to be like, you know what? I kind of just want to lay on the couch today. or I kind of just <laughs> want a bag of chips or whatever. Versus like if you eat a bunch of cake or whatever you're thing is cookies, pizza, whatever, and you lay on the couch for a week or two, at some point, your body's going to be like, I just really want something fresh and crunchy. I need to go on a walk. Mm -hmm. And and so I use this idea time and time again in my life and in my clients. And I have to say, like, I rarely speak in absolutes, but this has never not worked. (laughs) (laughs) So the key though, is to not shame yourself. This sounds really scary for people who feel like if they let themselves do it, they would just eat like five pizzas in a Mm -hmm. night. The thing is though, is that if that's truly what you want, and if you want to do what I'm going to offer to do, then you've got to just eat the five pizzas because that's what you want. And you have to do it without the guilt, because if you feel guilty about it, or if you kind of crap talk yourself about it, then you're going to feel bad. And that's just going to keep perpetuating the cycle. But if you're like, you know what, I really just want to have this pizza and you just eat a lot of pizza, and you have no judgment about it, then whether that's the next day or a couple days from then, or even a couple weeks from then, at some point, your body's going to be like, I need something a little bit lighter. I need something a little bit fresher than pizza. And I also want to get off the couch and go on a run or a walk or go to yoga class or, or whatever. And when you're at that place where healthy meets happy, then you just feel good in your body. And if you feel good in your body, you're going to be able to show up more confidently because confidence, like, you know, I know it's beginning to sound a little cliche, but it's kind of true. Like, that comes from within. And maybe even someone listening to this episode, maybe you've lost a bunch of weight before, thinking that was going to solve all your problems. And you lose the weight and you're like, well, crap, I still feel like crap, you know, right. uh, because yeah. that wasn't really the problem. And so, healthy meets happy also forces you to use your or to connect with your body and to use your intuition because you're going to make choices about what do I want to eat right now. What do I want to do right now? Do I want to move my body? Do I want to take a rest on the couch? Do I want to go on a jog? Do I want to go to sleep? Do I want to eat this cookie? Do I want to eat this apple or, or whatever? And when you're using your intuition to make those decisions, then again you're also just going to feel much more confident, just because like you're you're in your body, you're in your space, you're in your temple, and again, it all comes back down to how you feel. And if you're feeling healthy, you're feeling good in your body, whether that's a size two or a size twenty-two, then the confidence that you exude will be will be so much greater. And then on the surface, I just feel like it's important to point out that like. If, some, if you're going to lose a bunch of weight so that you're attracted to somebody and you can fit into a size, I don't know, six or eight or whatever feels, I know it's all arbitrary, so whatever feels small to you, and someone's only going to date you when you're that size, like, come on, you don't want to be that person anyways.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's so true. And that's something that I encourage my community to think about all the time, that instead of getting in our head about like you talked about, and we've all been there, uh, did he text me? And wait, I texted him and he didn't text back. Uh, What does that mean? And start overanalyzing it. And what did I say? Something that, yeah, if you said something to scare him off, he's not your guy. Yeah, (laughs) right. totally. I mean, as simple as that. So trying to resonate with our authenticity and trusting and truly believing that that is the best way to meet our person. Because if we are being totally ourselves, and of course, it's not like the first date, we're like, and this and this and this about me, you know, what I mean? we can r- reveal who we are in stages, which is pacing a relationship, which is wise to do. But when we are fully ourselves, then the people who aren't meant for us, they they will go by the wayside. And that's really a wonderful thing. Instead of framing that as, did I just get rejected there? rejection is protection i've heard it put that way rejection is god's protection so if you get rejected which i don't even like that word because really it just means that it wasn't a fit it's not a rejection of who you are and, and you can internalize yeah. that and make it mean that for you if you want to or you could go wow it's just we recognized we weren't a fit and he happened to be the one who recognized that sooner it hurts it stings but it's not some commentary on my worth as a human being on this planet. For me, I like to get in my head a little bit with my cognitive strategies and kind of wrestle with some of those thoughts that the feelings and kind of look at the thought that's fueling it and decide, wait, I don't have to frame it that way. I can reframe it into a much more empowering and actually more true, rational, and accurate interpretation of what just happened.
1: Totally. I always tell my clients, there is nothing you can do to mess it up.
0: Yeah. You know, like
1: there's nothing you can do aside from like, I don't know, like something truly obscene, like murdering his family or something just like right. crazy. Like there is nothing you can do. Like if something you said or something you did, you know, is is gonna make him like, you know, that's just not it's just not a fit. <laughs> it's not a fit, bottom right.
0: line. Right. Yeah. And that's what dating's about. It's just trying to figure out if you are a fit. So Veronica, where can listeners find you? What do you have coming up in the next couple months that you want to share with them and uh, let them know where to get your quiz for how to figure out if they're emotionally available or not?
1: Yeah. So you can get the emotional availability assessment at veronicagrand.com forward slash assessment. And you just take the quiz. I mean, you just add up your score. It's like one of those, you know, old magazine (laughs) things. And then depending on the score that you get, I've got some next steps for you to help you become more emotionally available and kind of get clear on what's holding you back and creating some of those walls that you might have built up around you. And then the other thing I have coming up is I have the Worthy and Love podcast tour. So depending on when you're listening to this, it's running in October 2021. Um, If you're listening after um, the recording, like you can still sign up and get access to all of the, the podcasts. But basically for a couple of weeks, if you participate in the tour, we are highlighting a different podcast in the space of love and relationships and boundaries and communication communication, all that kind of stuff. And all the episodes will be about how to feel more worthy and good enough in relationships and dating and all that kind of stuff. So if you're looking to add more podcasts to your listening queue, then this would be a great way just to get some great tips on how to feel more worthy in your love life.
0: Great. Yeah. And are you most active on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter? Where, where do you hang out most?
1: So I hang out mostly on my own <laughs> podcast. I am Veronica E. Grant. I will say that I don't post there too often. You can certainly DM me like any questions or thoughts you have about this episode. I do reply to DMs pretty, pretty quickly, but the best way to connect is certainly the podcast tour. I don't think I gave the link. I can sign up for that at veronicagrant.com forward slash pod tour. And you can also find me on my podcast, which is the Love Life Connection. And I have people on the show that I coach. So if you want to hear more, coaching and how some other people's questions and situations might be applied to you that that'll be a great place to dive into
0: excellent well thanks again for joining me today really appreciate it my pleasure the love and life hack for this week is as veronica put it where healthy meets happy we can find that confidence by being healthy and happy in our own skin Thanks so much for joining us this week. Veronica has invited love and life to be a part of her podcast tour. So check that out next week. Head over to her website to sign up so that you can get connected with all the other podcasts in the tour. As Veronica noted, the theme of the tour is worthy in love. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And until next time, make it a great week.
1: Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer Dr. Karen Anderson April.